0: Making a commitment and making a sacrifice to stay away from something, uh, whether it be a food or an activity, for a period of time, for, for us as human beings, <clears throat> really can be a challenge. And I hope that it has been, you felt that. And as you've read more, as you've read uh, the, the books that we've, the, the books of the Bible that I've challenged you to read and prayed more, I hope that you felt that sacrifice, felt that uh, the difference that it makes when you intentionally sacrifice for a purpose. Now, last week I said that fasting, not only fasting begins with sacrifice, but sacrifice leads to surrender. And last week we talked about surrender and what it means to surrender your life to Jesus, to surrender uh, your ways to Jesus. It's a very different concept today than it was years ago. Surrendering your will, surrendering your way. The church, and and this is, for those of you who have been here for a while, this doesn't come as anything new uh, from me. The church has really taken on much of the concepts and ideas of society where it's about us, it's about me, it's about me. And I mean, we have a whole, a whole, a whole new part of uh, the business world about self-care and ourselves and and taking care of you and you are the most important. And while I get that and I understand that, and please don't, don't turn me off because I said something negative about that, the life that we are called to follow with Jesus Christ is not about us. It's about him. It's about sacrifice and it's about surrendering to his will. No matter what you've done, no matter what your past, no matter where you come from, no matter what you think disqualifies you, you're wrong. Because with God, the blood of his son Jesus qualifies you to surrender to service. Now, that brings us to this last message, like I said, that will take two weeks. We sacrifice to learn surrender to produce Service. We sacrifice our desires, our ways, our thoughts, our patterns. We sacrifice of ourselves to learn to surrender our will to the will of God so that we can serve. So sacrifice leads to surrender, which leads to service. We've talked about biblical fasting. Biblical fasting is simply refraining from something, uh, whether it be food or something of importance in your life for a period of time, to accomplish a spiritual service. A spiritual purpose. And this fast that we're on is a spiritual exercise that is pursuing God's plan and purpose for your life. Now, we've covered the first two pretty well. And that brings us to the idea of service. The idea of serving God is seen throughout the Bible. Literally every book of the Bible speaks about someone serving God in some way. Now, I think that's probably obvious but I think it's also worth pointing out that every book of the Bible speaks and tells at least one story of one person who is serving God. In the Old Testament, we're shown how to follow God through works and religious practice, by keeping the law of Moses and making religious sacrifices to please God. When Jesus died for the sins of humanity, everything changed. That's why Easter we celebrate. That's why it is a, it's a big deal for us if we truly get into it and understand it and know what it's about. When Christ died on the cross, it changed everything. It changed everything about our relationship with him. It was no longer about how good you could be or how closely you could follow the letter of the law. It was now about humbling yourself and accepting the fact that you can't be good enough, that you're lacking the ability to please God in and of yourself, And that you need help. That you need a savior. That's the message of Jesus. That's the message of the new covenant. That's the message of the new testament. And with that message came a new way of living and interacting with others who believed the same way. It was no longer about going to temple and making sacrifices. It was now learning how to be a part of a new concept that came from Jesus himself. Service was and is now about aligning yourself with the teaching of the Bible. I think that's the most important thing we need to know from the very beginning about serving God. Your service to God for the kingdom, for his kingdom, is about you aligning yourself with the word of God. And you say, well, once again, well, that's obvious. Well, not really. Not now. Not anymore. Now, people... uh, Feel like they can do whatever they want and get involved in whatever they want and call it and slap a a label on it, call it spiritual, and think they're doing God's will. I think we'll see, hopefully, through this course of this message, we'll see something different. Where the Old Testament way was about keeping the law and all that it commanded, the New Testament way is about love. Jesus taught about love and spoke about love, He challenged us. To love before we served and to serve because we love. He told us that God is the very essence of and the fountain of love. That the concept of love is the concept of God Himself. I know that's tough to wrap our minds around, but that's the truth. God, the Bible, how many times does John write to us? God is love. God is love. Anyone who doesn't love doesn't know God for. God is love. God is the very, it, it, love begins with God. He is the fountain, he's the essence of love. Jesus narrowed down surrender to two things for us. He narrowed down surrender to two things for us. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind and to love your neighbors as yourselves. I had, we were having a little conversation. I had to go out and fill my coffee up Throat's feeling a little dry this morning. While I was out there, I was chatting with a couple of the men, and then uh, chatted with uh, one of our ladies, and we're talking about we're, we're talking about um, <clears throat> the challenges that people uh, of color have here in our town, in the in the town of East Long Meadow. And you know, I think Jeremy uh, said it best. He said, "You know." If you're white and you don't think these things exist, you need to open your eyes and realize And Jeremy's white. These things exist. They're true. They're real. It's, it's true. And in, in our town, um, we have a problem with that. We have a problem with racial. Not everybody, but there's a real problem in our town. I'll, I'll give you the example I gave somebody else. Um, the, uh, a police officer uh, saw my van, and we had just bought the van, and I don't know what happened to the, the sticker, but the registration was just fine. Uh, and he, he looked at my van, he looked at the license plate, he said, "Your registration 's out of date it 's okay. Never heard anything more about it i 'd driven around town i haven 't changed it because i 've got the registration in the car that says it 's fine. whether well, somebody stole my sticker or not i don 't know haven 't had a problem. If my skin was dark there 's no lie, man. If my skin was dark in this town, they would pull me over and tow my car." There's no, no doubt about it, no doubt about it. You ask my wife, every time we see a car pulled over in this town, it's usually a person of color. Why do I say that? To go off on a rant? <coughs> well, partly, partly. I've got two brown boys that are trying to endure this town, this school system. But to say this, we are not called to hate our neighbors. We're called to love our neighbors. That's from Jesus himself. If you have a problem because someone has a different color skin than you and you see them in a different way, you're not loving like Jesus loved. You realize that? that now, now, that goes from the other side of the tracks, too. If you're a person with skin that's darker and you see every white person, I've had, I've had people walk up to me. I have had a Puerto Rican woman I worked for. She was a manager. She walked up to me, looked me right in the eyes, and said, "I hate white people." Right? Okay. Okay. Well, let's. And I'm the guy that I can get away with it because I look like I just get out of prison. I, I just say, "Well, let's talk about that." And I'm learning. I'm learning lessons from a man who knows uh, how to approach these things and how to how to talk about it. Because my job is not to be the best white man I can be for the glory of God. My calling is to be the best person I can be for the glory of Jesus Christ. My calling, now listen to what Jesus said. Do you, let's, let's, let's break this down. And that wasn't intending to go this way, but we're there so we might as well. Okay. The command from Jesus was to love, love your neighbors as yourself. Jesus goes on in other passages and says no one's ever hated his own flesh, right? So white people, your neighbor, is, you're supposed to love your neighbor no matter what their color the same way you love yourself and your children. Black people, Puerto Rican people, you're supposed to love white people the same way. We're all supposed to get along. That leads us to this. The calling of God to us to service begins here in the church. This is where it starts. The call to service begins in the church. Now, we have made, I have made a conscious effort and, and tried to lead our church into not, I want to say this the right way, not to become multicultural so that we can say we're multicultural. What we have tried to do over the last several years here at New Life is break down the walls so that people will, of all skin tones, will feel welcome here. Because I've had people in my church who have told me my friends of color do not feel welcome crossing the line into East Longmeadow. And it's so bad that I've, I've considered and prayed about moving our church, our location from East Longmeadow to Springfield. So that that barrier will be taken, ca- taken down. Because Lord knows the white folks in East Longmeadow have no problem driving into Springfield to shop. Because we don't want drive throughs here in our town. It's just my little plug for, get a stinking Dunkin' Donuts drive through here, will you? Just saying, George, I'm just saying. I have, see, I thought that was going to relieve tension because it's getting a little too tense in here, but it's not. It didn't. So, all right. We're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's an actionable command from Jesus Christ himself. What that means is you need to take action on that. Don't just pick and choose who you love. Don't just pick and choose who you want to minister to. Don't just pick and choose who you serve as a follower of Christ. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus went on in in that story, and the question was asked, who is your neighbor? Remember that? Who is your neighbor? Remember the story he told after that? Anybody remember? Bible scholars? told the story of the Good Samaritan. So if you think the neighbor is just the guy living next door, that's not it. Anyway, the heart of the concepts that Jesus was telling us about, that he spent 27 books in the New Testament telling us how to live out those commandments, how to live out love. The heart of those is service. An act of service which leads, uh, an act, a sacrifice which leads to an attitude of surrender which leads us to service. So if we follow through, the natural progression of sacrifice and surrender to a committed follower of Jesus is service. Now, Jesus didn't just say out, to tell us to go out and do a good job. He just didn't say, he just didn't throw a, a ball out and said and go play. Jesus had a plan. And he planted the seeds of that plan and watched it grow until it was time for his followers to move forward in that plan without him around. Jesus had and still has a plan to reach the world with the message of his love. And it's a plan that every one of us that know him as personal savior can and should be involved in. Now, if you if I've heard a lot of comments about the last two messages, um, they're, you know, they were hard hitting. This one's going to be the same. And it's going to challenge many people and many people that watch us online. It's going to challenge us in our belief system. It's going to challenge us in our excuse system. It's going to challenge us, many of us, in our core values of being a follower of Christ. Because you see, the plan that Jesus came up with, that every follower of his should be involved in, is called the local church plan is the local church. That's Jesus' plan. That's his plan for evangelizing the world. That's his plan for reaching our community, the local church. It's not good government. It's not financial stability. It's the local church. And listen, I'm I'm glad to sit down and debate uh, about this. But when we, and, and we'll see this in the message, when you want to talk about the local church and the, and, and the fact that we don't need her or that whatever, if you have a negative attitude about it, just make sure you come to a discussion about the local church with the Bible. Okay? Make sure you come at it from the Bible, not about what people are saying out there, not about what your favorite YouTuber says. Make sure you come at it from the Bible, with the Bible because that's where the concept comes from. Jesus introduced the idea of the church. He chose 12 men that he entrusted the early foundational teachings of the church to and gave them, as well as any who would follow him, the power not only to be called as children, but to go out and change the world through love, commitment, and service through the local church. I told a few people about this quote that I'm about to share with you. It'll be up on the screen. Don't get offended, okay? Take it in the, in the way it was, it's written. Philip Yancey wrote this in one of his books about why church. He said, and now Philip Yancey is a, a Christian author. He's actually my favorite Christian author. And Philip Yancey was a man who struggled with faith. He struggled with the church. He was raised in a very hardcore, fundamental Baptist background. Where it was all about, all about rules and regulations and, and what you can and can't do. It wasn't about following Christ. It was about making a good. Impre- it was about making a good appearance, and there was a time where he walked away from the church and really searched for the truth. That's where he came up with the book, The Jesus I Never Knew. And then he wrote the, this book that he, where I'm quoting from, about his journey back to the church. And he said this: "As I look around on Sunday mornings at the people populating the pews, I see the risk that God has assumed." For whatever reason, God now reveals himself in the world, not through a pillar of smoke and fire, not even through the physical body of his son in Galilee, but through the mongrel collection that comprises my local church and every other such gathering in God's name. Think about that. Of all the ways, think about that, man. I mean, let's, let's just grab a hold of that, shall we? Of all the ways that God could come up with to reach this world with the gospel, he chose us. Think about that. He has the power. He has the ability. If God wanted to write his message to this world, he could write it in the sky. God could. Jesus Christ could appear in the clouds and all the world could see him at the same time and he could tell them the message of the cross himself. Yet he chose not to do it. He chose us. You are his plan. And that's what Philip is trying to say here. For good or ill, God chose us to reach the world. You see, when we talk about service to God, we're not talking about pleasing the pastor. We're not talking about being seen by others. We're not talking about having a good time. We're talking about serving God and building his kingdom through that service. I think it's remarkable And I would have to agree with Mr. Yancey here. What an incredible risk. Because, see, the risk involved is this. Not only did God choose us to evangelize the world, we have been chosen. Listen to this. Let Let me put a little bit deeper, heavier weight on it. God has chosen you and me to populate eternity. Think about that. Think about that next time you want to just decide you don't want to talk about Jesus, you don't want to read your Bible, you don't want to go to church, you don't want to get involved, you don't want to do anything, you just want to live your life. God has chosen you to populate eternity. You realize that people hear the gospel or don't because of us. People see Jesus or don't because of us. I know that many people say that the local church is a scam, that it's outdated, that it's a human, I love these, love the, it's a human construct, right? Everything is a construct. Everything is a societal construct now. The church is a human construct designed to reinforce the patriarchy and to spread hate and lies and make money. I would say this to you, if you listen to my Bible studies on Wednesday night, you'll, you'll know I say this quite often. Just because the Bible records it doesn't mean God endorses it. Because all your all your friends and all the people that write on write on Facebook and that God endure, the Bible endorses slavery. No, it doesn't. It records slavery, it doesn't endorse it. Okay, if, you can, if you can make a theologically, biblically sound argument to me that the Bible endorses slavery, then I'll agree with you. But you can't. It's not that just because it records stuff doesn't mean it endorses stuff. Okay? Now while everyone is entitled to their own opinion, no one is entitled to their own facts. We've heard that before. Rick Warren, founding pastor of Saddleback Church out in California, said many believe one can be a good Christian without joining or even attending a local church. God would strongly disagree. Truth is truth and in order to understand the purpose and working concept of anything, you need to go to the source of its birth as an idea. To find out exactly what the primary purpose of that concept is. For the local church we find that source to be the Bible. Not creeds, not traditions, not denominational statements, not societal decisions or decrees. The Bible, period. So as we move through these last two Sundays of our preaching series on fasting, the last message is going to focus on service but not for the sake of service alone. going to be talking about serving God the way he has instructed us to serve him through a local church. I make no apologies about the fact that I am local church. I am not looking to build a worldwide ministry. If I had that kind of charisma, if I had that kind of ability, that kind of personality, it's not what I'd want to do. I am not, listen, maybe, maybe you have friends, family, maybe you come from churches that have different campuses, different campus churches. That's not me. I'm not looking to establish new life, West Springfield, new life, Westfield, new life, Pittsfield. I'm not looking to do that. I don't don't think that's biblical. That's just my opinion, okay? I can give you Bible. I believe local church, local church. And I believe God has called me to pastor one church, not one church and 50 satellite churches, one church. To think that I'm the only one that can pastor churches around this area is an arrogant thought for me. Just a fact of the matter. Now, I know that probably offends some of my brothers and sisters in ministry that are going to hear this message, but oh well. I think it's arrogant to think that I have to be the pastor of every satellite around the area. God didn't call me to pastor a church. If God wants me to pastor a church in Boston, he'll move me to Boston. Okay? That, I, you say, well, that's that's simplistic. No, that's Bible. All right, it's Bible. Paul himself established churches, but didn't pastor them. You understand that? Paul established churches and then told those churches to raise up leaders within the church. That's what the Bible says to do. So, what we're seeing today, I would challenge it being a biblical model. The biblical model for reaching the world with the gospel is the local church. And I'll stand on that. And I'm going to show you that over the next two weeks, why I believe that. And what? listen, I'm also not the guy that says you have to take my word for everything. I challenge you to take what I have to say. If what I have to say makes sense and you want to say, hey, I believe that. I agree with that. That's cool. But if you want to take what I have to say and say, you know what? I'm going to study it out myself and see what other people think, see what the Bible has to say. I'm good with that too. I want you to be an educated follower of Jesus Christ, not a, a brainwashed follower of John Chase. That would not be smart at all. I don't even want to follow myself sometimes. I, I was a Rams fan this year. That's kind of embarrassing. Anyway, sorry, Craig, I just had to that out. So we're going to start by answering this question. What is a church according to the Bible and why is serving at a local church the biblical way to serve? And finish by showing how we can serve God through our local church. I know it's not popular. I know a lot of people are are moving away from this model. But we're after truth, not popularity. Okay, folks, that's the heart of the matter. We're after truth, not popularity. If I was after popularity, I wouldn't say half the things I say in my messages. So let's start at the beginning and talk about the local church. Let me give you some quotes from some. Now, these, these gentlemen and ladies that I'm quoting combined have close to 200 years of mi- not just ministry experience, but theological study of the Bible. Okay? So this isn't, these aren't my words. These are the words of those who have really dug into the word and, and learned it and then put it into practice. Mark Deaver uh, pastor of a church in Washington, D.C., said when a person becomes a Christian, he doesn't just join a local church because it's a good habit for growing in spiritual maturity. He joins a local church because it's the expression of what Christ has made him, a member of the body of Christ. I'll address that here in a couple minutes. <clears throat> Bill Hybels, pastor of a large church out in Chicago, says nothing on earth has greater potential to change lives and carry out his kingdom work in your community than your local church. You think of all—I'll the, stop there before I finish this quote. You think of all the organizations that are in this town. What organization in the town of East Longmeadow—and you, those of you who live in Springfield—you are part of the, the New Life Congregation. What ha, what organization has the greatest potential to change eternity? The Rotary Club, the public school system, even the Christian schools—no, the local church the local church. Not just by being here, but by taking what you learn here and taking it out there. Whatever your job is, whatever your career is, taking Christ with you out there. My wife asked me today to tell you folks how much she loves her job. She loves her new job. She's a, she's a, a teacher at Veritas Preparatory School. Okay. She loves it. Absolutely loves it, and she's working. She's working in Springfield. She's working with a school at a school that is ninety percent minority. She is, she is the minority now in that school, and I'll tell you what. And I, I will say this with with pride and love for my wife and honesty, there is no person in this world that I know. That could, that can actually see people, as human beings and not see the color of their skin and treat them the the same way. For whatever you want to think or say about my wife, my wife is the most loving, compassionate person I've ever met to whoever she meets. Skin color does not matter to my wife. I wish more Christians could be like her, because we wouldn't have half the problems we have. Let's continue. There's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. the potential Its potential is unlimited. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. Nancy Lee DeMoss says this, Being disconnected from the local church for whatever reason is a dangerous way to live. Not only do these lone rangers miss out on the blessings of functioning within the context of the body of Christ, but like lone sheep away from the safety of the flock and the watchful care of the shepherd, they are vulnerable to predators of every sort. I think that's the undersold and most forgotten part of of leaving church and being out of church. My heart breaks. I, I pray for the people, for the young families, the young parents in our church who have decided that it's, they, they are much better served by not being at New Life. They're not going somewhere else. They're just not coming here. My heart breaks for the single adults and the married couples who have decided that it's more important to pursue a new home or a better career than it is to be part of a local church. Listen, I just applied to Veritas Preparatory School yesterday. I'm looking for a second job. Doesn't mean I'm going to leave this job. Doesn't mean my commitment to my church is going to go down. It means I want to support my family. I want to make some money. And I want to do something beyond that. I want to do something that impacts my community. And quite honestly, can I be honest with you parents here in East Long Meadow, your school system, your leadership doesn't want people like me. They just don't. Uh, Melvin and I met to have him come in and speak to the, the school board to speak to Uh, the leadership there. And they keep putting it off. Oh, yeah, we want to do it. In that same meeting, the superintendent told me and the director of curriculum for this town that if people in leadership in this town knew that he was meeting with me as a pastor, they would be up in arms. They don't want people like me in this town. So you know what? You know what the Bible tells me to do? Brush the dust off my feet and move on. I'll I'll, I'll try to go somewhere where they do want somebody like me. I've got 40 years experience. Think about that. 40 years experience counseling people. And my counseling isn't like what your school counselors do. I've, been, I've gone into the, on the cell blocks of prisons. And sat down with criminals. <laughs> I've sat down in the home while the body is still warm. From a mother. Uh, with with a teenager whose mother just OD'd, I've gone into lockdown facilities with these kids. I think I've got experience that I can bring to this generation. If you don't understand what this generation has gone through, these kids today who are in school, parents, pay attention to your kids right now. These two years of COVID, man, we we took a long we took a lot of strides towards screwing our kids up. If you don't think so, think again. Sit down and chat with a kid. You're in a town like East Long Meadow where they don't want to talk about those things, you have kids talking about suicide. You have kids that are cutting left and right. You have kids that have turned to all kinds of stuff. They joke openly about their drug abuse. All I want to do is help. When I said that about making money, I was kind of joking. I wouldn't mind making money, but it's not a big deal for me. I just want to help people. And I want to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If that means I have to leave here to go somewhere else to do it, I'll do it. Because my calling is to build the kingdom. Not to be popular. When you leave, as, as Mrs. DeMoss says, when you leave the protection of the church... You are a lone wolf. And it happens, right? Jesus went and searched for the one. The 99 were safe. Have you ever thought of it that way? You ever thought of it that way? Jesus left the 99. Why? Because the 99 were able to help each other out. The 99 were able to protect each other. The 99 were able to care for each other. The 99 were able to watch over each other. The one, well, that one was vulnerable to attack, vulnerable to defeat, vulnerable to all kinds of things. So when we're so flip and we're so uh, arrogant that we think we can walk away from church and it's not, it won't affect us at all, we've, we've really lost our righteous mind. I pray for those who have walked away. Not, you go to another church, you go to another church, man. That's cool. We're not the only, church, we're not the only game in town. Uh, there are other places you can go and meet your needs, and that's cool. I just, hey, go get involved somewhere, man. If you can't get involved here, go get involved somewhere. I'm talking about the ones who have just walked away. I think we undersell what they're up against the safety that is in the local church. Dr. David Jeremiah, my, father, my father's favorite author near the end of his life, was Dr. David Jeremiah. My mom loves to read him too. He says, every believer is commanded to be plugged in to a local church. Now these statements, in my words, may not line up with your feelings on the matter. You may think I'm overstating the case or that I'm just way off target. But as I said, but before you make your decision or come to your conclusion, please let me make my case for being an active part of this local church. I believe in the local church. Jesus gave his life for the church, and I've tried to do the same. I believe in its structure, in its purpose, in its function, in its effectiveness, and in its potential. And I believe in its members when they are fully engaged and connected. Listen, I'll just speak from my heart for a minute. If I thought I could go anywhere and have greater potential to reach a community that needed Jesus Christ as much as our community does, I'd go. I would. Listen, my, my daughter and four of my grandchildren live in Springfield, Missouri. Man, you throw a hot dog out on a Sunday morning, you could draw a crowd of 300 in Springfield, Missouri. Seriously. Religion is the, church is the number one business of that city. You can literally go to a different church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, all year long, and not go to every church in that city. There are over 300, and it's a city the size of Springfield, Massachusetts, without the surrounding suburbs. The church I worked at, I've told you this before, was a church of about 13, 1,400 people. We were a mid-sized church in that town, in that city, mid-sized Largest church in that, in that city runs about 15,000 people. It's crazy. Now let me ask you a question. You know, what's, you know what's crazy? People still go to Springfield, Missouri to start churches. Why? Why? It doesn't make any sense. You know what does make sense? Going to an area that is dark that is bleak, that is without Jesus, to tell them about Jesus. The reason people don't do it is because it's hard, because it's difficult, because it's very, very tough. Listen, man, I believe in the local church, and I'm going to tell you from my heart, I believe in this church. I believe in this church. I believe in you as members of this church. I believe that I, I can see what God can do through this church if we, would, if we would all surrender to serve Him. If we'd all get on the same page. If we'd all get in the same, the, the same way and the same path. What God could do with this church. Building a functional, effective church in today's world is difficult. There are distractions at every turn, disillusion and division over the smallest and silliest issues. Quite honestly, the empowerment movement in our society has created havoc with leadership structures, including those who, in church, who believe they have they deserve to have a voice in everything. Can I say this? Can I just be honest with you, folks? I, I was elected to be the pastor of this church, and I've done it for 20 years i done it through thick and thin. I've led this church through darkness. I've led this church through good, good and bad times. If you don't want me as the pastor, then vote me out. But if I'm the pastor of this church, let me pastor the church. Okay? And I'll say it this way. This is my place of employment as well as my place of ministry. You don't go into your boss at your place of employment and tell them how to run the show, do you? No. You don't. You can say you might. You can say whatever you want. You don't. You go in and you do your job. At the very beginning, I told you this is going to be a tough one. At the very beginning, let me say this. If I'm the pastor of this church and you see me as the pastor of this church, let me pastor the church. Stop trying to do my job. Stop trying to tell me how to do my job. Stop trying to pull strings from behind. Stop trying to build coalitions against me. This is one time where it's really good that I have a lot of family in this church. Ain't going anywhere. It's much easier to get on board and work together than it is to continue to fight a shadow fight and a shadow war against something that's not going to change. So let's get on board. Better say something quick because it's awfully quiet. The collapsing moral structure, fiber, and collective compass of our society has created great cracks and holes in the foundational beliefs of the local church, so much so that many churches have gone under and no longer exist. Many churches are mere shells of what they once were, watered-down sermons, social consciousness instead of biblical truth, mockery of doctrinal purity, an emphasis on on, on finances and your best life now, Rather than a focus on the eternal plan of God. All of these and more have brought the church to the point of irrelevance. In the lives of many of its members. And surely in society. You say well what are you talking about? You know what one of the biggest things is? In mainline churches right now. Uh, Sorry if you've got young kids in here. I'm sorry. uh, If you have to explain this to them later on. Bringing in drag queens. to, To lead worship. And to read stories to the children. In church oh that's not happening I'm telling you it's happening all over the place all over when churches start flying a pride flag that tells you their intention please that's not hatred don't call me a phobia phobic anything because I'm not my oldest daughter Jody is gay lover to death Pray for her, but I love her to death. Don't, don't you dare insult me by saying I'm scared of anything or anybody. I'm not. But I do know what doctrinal purity and biblical purity is. And it's not having a man dressed like a woman come in and read a Bible story to prove a point. That's what's happening in the church today. You think, you, you think what I just said is a bun, bunch of, bunch of over, hyperbolic overkill it's not. That's what's going on. There's a real movement here in Massachusetts to pass a law that will force me to marry anybody who comes to me and asks me to marry them. I get emails and we get messages on the church uh, on, to our church a lot. Are you welcoming to everybody? Is everybody welcoming? You know what people are doing? They're trying to set us up. It's happened. They're trying to set us up for a lawsuit. Listen, man, your life is your life. Your choice is your choice. You do what you want, but please give me the same respect. As a local church, folks, It's time to start taking it seriously again. Because what's going on is destroying the fabric of the local church. Destroying the fabric of the call of God on our lives. Don't think that we do this without opposition because it's there. Many of these things are aimed at bringing church to a place of irrelevance in the lives of many of its members and surely in society. Not many people, including many church members, really take the church seriously anymore. And Zach, Zach preached a couple weeks ago and he shared with you some statistics. and I could share with you even more how irrelevant people see the church. I talk with kids over at the high school and they call me Father Chase, a bunch of the, a bunch of the guys... They call me Father Chase because I'm a pastor, and they figure I'm a priest. And I, well, that's my wife, <laughs> so that's not working. But they call, they call me Father Chase. Hey, Father Chase, how you doing? How you doing and when I sub for, um, what's that? I can't I don't even know what the name is. Not geometry. It's the higher math. Tri- Tri- no, no. no. Cal- no so calculus, something like that. Algebra. See, I don't know. It's uh, not algebra. No, uh, no, it's something. Something that takes brains that I don't have. The whole, the whole group is like, Father Chase, Father Chase, Father Chase. You know, I, I think that's, I, I'm glad that they like me. I'm glad that they're talking to me. But that's how little they know about the structure of churches and the difference in churches. Most of them, I have had more kids tell me this school year that they don't believe in God that I've ever had at any point in my life. And that's not a lie. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God. My, calm, my, my response back to them is, well, he believes in you. And he died for you. And I'm still waiting to get fired for saying stuff like that. We can bemoan. And this is where we've become, I think, where we've, we've, we've gotten to a point where we are missing the boat. We bemoan the fact that the church has become irrelevant in a lot of areas, and we bemoan the fact that people don't like us and they're attacking us. I don't, I, listen, I, I'll be more than happy to be that, that piece of sand irritating the oyster because that sand eventually becomes a pearl, right? So I'll have no problem being the irritant. I just want to make sure I have backup. And that's where the church comes in. And I hope that you, when you go out into your daily world, your daily life, you don't have a problem becoming the irritant. Now, maybe you don't have the, the lack of grace in, in your actions and your words that I do. Um, and you can bring things a bit, a, a bit cheerier and a little bit with a little bit more grace and a little bit more tact. But you still need to know. That as you go out and serve and live and live God's word, you have a place. You have a people. You have a crowd. You have a family of faith that has your back. where you can come and you can can sit down and watch a movie with you and your wife and or husband and several other couples on how to have a better marriage. You can come in and have a cup of coffee and sit down and talk with someone about how To better become who God has called you to be. That's what the church is. I believe in the church. I believe in what God has established. Next next week, we're going to dig into a little bit more. What the church is. I'll tell you this. The very first point, I was planning on getting much farther than this, but we didn't make it. True service begins in the local church. I believe that with all my heart. True service to God begins in the local church. I hope that you take that thought with you this week and think about where you fit in. And I guess maybe this is a better question. Don't don't ask God where you fit in. Ask God this question. I challenge... I, listen, man... I challenge you to ask God this question. For those, some of you, are, you're not struggling, you have no idea some of the things I'm talking about, you don't, you don't know anything about it, and that's fine. Ask God, why don't I feel like I fit in at New Life? Why don't I feel like I can, I can serve there? Why do I feel distant? Is it me or is it someone else? Why am I constantly fighting against the stream in my church? Not out there. Out there is where we're supposed to fight against the stream. In here, we're all supposed to be swimming together. Ask yourself, ask God, please show me why I struggle to take the next step. I think you'll get your answer. We don't all have to be the same. We just all have to serve the same God and follow the same Savior, right? We'll finish this message next week, hopefully. Maybe, probably not, but that's okay. Folks, please understand, I know I I said some harsh things today. I knew I was going to ask Aaron. I told her I prepared her for it because she has to hear it as well. I said, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But we're there. We're there. It's time. And I believe, we're at, I believe truly we're at a tipping point. Not just in the, I believe in society, in this country, but I believe in our church. I believe we're at a very, very unique place in the life of this church. I believe we are, we are ready to either explode or implode. And it all depends on how we move forward from this point on. I'm excited. I hope you get that from it. I'm excited about what God's doing. I'm excited. I would. I, somebody said, well, are you, are you looking to get out and change careers? No, man. I have always been bivocational. I've always worked two jobs, three jobs, four jobs. Don't mind it at all. Don't mind it at all. I just ask that you understand that I do work two full-time jobs. So if I don't get back to you right at, in that minute... I'm I'm working, probably. I'm excited for wherever God leads me to do that job to help grow the kingdom of God through my local church. I would love to get involved and work with people who actually want to work with somebody like me to affect the community for good because there's a a lot of people that need to be reached. And I'm tired of, of... Anyway... Yeah, we've got to move on. <sighs> New life? Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for these people. Lord, thank you for their endurance and their, um, their willingness to listen. Lord, I pray that... Um, God, I pray that we'll hear your words. I pray that you'll, we'll hear your voice. God, will ask those questions of ourselves. Why? Why do I struggle? Why do I, why do I hold back? And God, give us the answers to those questions. <clears throat> God, lead us in your way. I pray, Lord, for each and every one of us that this week will be a life-changing week, one that draws us closer to you. God, would you bless us would you use us, take us further than we've ever gone before? In your name we pray. Amen.